both Derrick Henry and Torrey Carter up out wide as wide receivers? Question mark. I Dangerous wideouts, Torrey Carter and Derrick Henry. I don't know what that was. Welcome in to the Hot Read Podcast. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, Director of Published Content and Senior Titans Contributor at BroadwaySportsMedia.com, partnered with the 440 Podcast Network. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I know that you're not expecting to have heard me. Well, I, I suppose if you listen to the first episode of the week on Tuesday morning, then you aren't shocked that this episode is coming out. But we had so much to talk about this week regarding the Titans, I was compelled to record a bonus episode this week, a little midweek episode. We're still going to be doing our Friday morning episode as always. Producer JT should be back with us by then. He's still recovering from his illness, his voice. Talked to him on the phone the other day. His voice uh, sounds like a creaky, rusty cellar door. Um, and so he's on some vocal rest, going to be back with us on Friday. But today I'm joined for I guess you could call it an interview, but really it's just he's stepping in as a co-host for the whole episode, and it was a great time. Sam Phelan from A to Z Sports, a guy that I met this year. It's both of our first years on the Titans beat, and um, he's a great guy from Chicago, young guy, bright guy. Um, he wrote some some pieces for A to Z the other day following the game that I read and was just struck by some of his perspective on this Titans team, wanted to get him on to talk about that, and it kind of just snowballed into him joining me for the whole episode. We talk a lot about the Titans and where they are right now. We get into a fun game at the end that I think you'll enjoy. I'll quit blabbering on. Let's just get into our interview slash co-hosted episode with Sam Phelan of A to Z Sports. Let's welcome in Sam Phelan to the show. Sam covers the Tennessee Titans for A to Z Sports here in town. Sam, how's it going, man? Good, Easton, man. I appreciate the invite uh, reaching out. I'm always happy to hop on and talk Titans football. So, so ready to go. Awesome. Yeah, Sam and I met. Uh, we both started uh, on the beat for the Titans this year, I think, is our both of our first years. So we're uh, buddies in the, the press box and uh, out at practice and camp and everything. And Sam's a great guy. And I, I read a couple of articles that he put out over the last couple of days on A to Z sports that I found fascinating. Um, I liked his perspective on this past Titans game, and I wanted to talk a little bit about it um, because there's a lot to talk about. Obviously the first article that you wrote immediately following the game last night was talking about what you thought you saw in a gamble that John Robinson and Mike Vrabel had made and how this team was really on the losing end of this lost gamble. Tell me a little bit about what you see in the decisions this team has made and how you think it's, you know, being a detriment to them. Yeah. I think when you look at the Titans and you look at the embarrassment that was Monday night football in Buffalo, there's a few things that jump out. And the thing that I took away from it was what you said. It was the gamble that was the Titans off season in just over this entire summer and kind of the way John Robinson and Mike Frable and the rest of the front office went about their business. And what I noticed Easton that, that to be honest, hand up, I didn't hate it at the time out of the Titans. And I do think it could end up working for working out for them on the back end. But, but the, the gamble I was talking about was the Titans made an, a, a pretty intentional effort and they have been intentional about this over the last Oh, two seasons now where 
a lot of their veterans, many of the pieces of their core that they had established and gone to the AFC championship game with and been the number one seed in the AFC in 2021 with, they were pretty content with letting walk uh, and, and not paying to stay. And they took a gamble on the draft picks and on the young talent that is on this Titans roster right now, the, the, the talent that made up the 2020, 2021, and now the 2022 draft class. And I think a lot of those draft picks being misses are starting to uh, kind of, you know, rear its ugly head for the Titans in a lot of ways. You know, we've seen injuries go down and learned very quickly that they're, Undrafted free agents are, are playing defense and that they're relying on guys that have no NFL experience to step up and be playmakers. And they've cut themselves so razor thin that they needed every little thing to go right. And, and because they let some of these reliable options go now, they've gambled and, and tried to roll the dice on some young talent. And when it hasn't worked, you've seen the result. Owen oh 2 and the gap between the Titans and the Buffalo Bills is drastic and pretty sad given where the Titans were a year ago. Well, and one of the things that, that you mentioned just there that I think was a bit telling about this decision or these series of decisions that the Titans have made and, and something that, you know, they're already, they're already dealing with just barely at the beginning of this season is on the defensive side of the ball. They've had a number of guys go down and, and suddenly they're forced to play guys like Trey Avery in situations that should never be the case at any point in the season. But it's a little bit more understandable, I suppose, if it's just a matter of you're dealing with a mash unit, it's week 13 and it's just this whole team is beat up. It's week two and you're already having to play an undrafted free agent on on uh, Trayvon Diggs who just murders you. Yes. It, it, it's or Stefan Diggs, rather the, the much better Diggs brother. Stefan has a perfect game and it's, you know, in part courtesy of the Titans coaching staff because they're, you know, having to, to deal with this personnel issue that, you know, there, there could have been ways to avoid this. And unfortunately here they are here at the very beginning of the season. Another thing that I think stood out from the game and, and I wanted to get your thoughts on this, this inefficient run game kind of come out of nowhere for this team that, you know, this group of guys, and it is very much the same group of guys that they were playing with last year. They built their their entire identity on being super stout in the run defense. It was not ever an issue for them. It was a strength of theirs all of last season. And then they come out of the gates this year, allow an unfathomable amount of yards in the first week to a, you know, a, a new and improved Saquon Barkley. And then against the Bills, you know, the Bills don't gouge them. You don't expect the Bills to gouge anybody in the running game, but the run defense is bad again. It's something that that is har harmful for them. And, and it's, it's, it's just astonishing how it's gone from so good to so bad so quickly. What are your thoughts on, on who, who it is to, to blame in that, that re regard? Well, it, it, it does have part of, of what we talked about or what I just talked about with, with you know, Jayon Brown's no longer here. Rashawn Evans is no longer here. You gambled on, you know, Monty Rice being around, taking a step forward. He, we haven't seen him at all. Like he, he was never really even on the field during training camp. So his injury status still is kind of a big question mark that you're not sure you'll ever see him back. 
uh, like in any time soon, at least for the Titans. And you, you gambled on, you know, Zach Cunningham coming over and having this be a perfect fit alongside David Long. And it just hasn't clicked so far. The, t- the tackling hasn't been there. The attack to the football hasn't been there. And now you're starting to look at a couple guys go down on the defensive end. And, and yes, the Harold Landry injury hurts them so, so badly. And then you let David and any get claimed and Ola has an injury kind of looming in the second quarter of that game. And Joe Jones comes out and you're running Joe Jones at defensive end, kind of, kind of being a, like a pass rusher, a guy that, you know, might the inside linebacker, man. Yeah. And it's, but that's what, the, that's the state of where they're at. And you're looking at the, the number of defensive bodies that they've let go. Um, and Easton, I think too the, the other issue with the run game has just been how ineffective they've been with Derrick Henry. And, and that's something on the other side of the ball. Yeah, absolutely. Is 1.9 rushing yards per game from the guy that's led the league in yards per carry or, or in rushing yards rather in you know, two straight years and then would have been a third had the injury not happened last year. And you're kind of looking at Derrick Henry as I, you know, I think Derrick will bounce back, but, but this is kind of what I'm noticing with Derrick Henry is he's no longer making up for mistakes on the offensive line. And and this is something I talked to Teron Davenport about today, just kind of while we were sitting in the press box after um, Mike Vrabel's press conference today, but Derrick Henry is not the guy who's going to get hit in the backfield and, you know, shake that tackle and turn it into a 15 yard gain all the time that he was three, two years ago. That that's, it's clearly he's, he's taken a slight step back in that sense and you still have an offensive line that has allowed Derrick Henry to get hit in the backfield on over 50% of his carries so far this year. Well, that's my biggest question, Sam, is is because I I think it's a fascinating debate as to, you know, a a chicken and the egg here. This run game is so bad so far for a team that speaking of run game and identity, if there, if nothing else, the Titans have been the running team now going on two or three years. And that's been on the back of Derrick Henry, who, like you said, I think it's pretty clear that he, is is at least a, a tiny step worse than he was. Um, I, I think it is fair to question any judgment at this point purely because of how bad the offensive line has looked um, and purely because of the fact that we know that Derrick Henry starts slow. And it's I think it's being underplayed the fact that this year we probably should have expected him to start the slowest of all just because he coming into the year had only played one football game in nearly 11 months. Um, so didn't do much in training camp, you know, he was out of a lot of the live team reps in training ex- camp. And they, exactly. They about trying to conserve him. But the flip side of that is, yeah, you know, you expect a little bit of a slower start for a guy that you're learning pretty quickly. You can't afford to have not be his best and you can't afford to get no production out of on the offensive end. That's not who this team is. Well, in the game last night in Buffalo, you saw, just what was so frustrating, I think, for a lot of fans who aren't quite sure whether or not their expectations for Derrick Henry at this point should be lowered or not. You you saw how often he was killed in the backfield before he'd taken three steps. I mean, Derrick Henry has always been the kind of guy who, yeah, he's capable of shaking defenders in the backfield and making a play. That's That's who he was in his prime. But really what made him so dangerous was if you gave him five, six steps and you managed to, to give him a lane and get ahead of steam – to the line of scrimmage and to the point of contact beyond the line, that's where he made you pay because he's such a a strider and a, and a guy that 
the acceleration is an elite, but the top speed and the momentum is what makes him so dangerous. You're not even able to see any of that so far this year because he can't get two steps without having to try to shake a guy five yards behind the line. And last night they insisted on constantly trying to pitch to him out of the backfield and get these runs designed to go around the end. And it was a constant disaster. And they, I guess everybody saw it, but the coaching staff, because they insisted on calling it over and over and over. And I know it frustrated many. And it's just, it's a, it's a fascinating thing to watch. I think over the next month or so, Hopefully, as Derek gets some better chances and we get a bigger sample size, but if this line plays like that all year long, it it may not matter how good Derek Henry is. It may not matter how good any running back is. I mean, running is dependent on the line, no matter how good the best running back in the world is going to be mediocre at best behind a horrible run blocking offensive line. So it's a weird, it's a weird balance there. Yeah, it is running game comes down to one thing straight up and it's getting the back to the second level clean. That's when your running backs really make a difference. That's yep. when you run through guys, stiff arm guys, make guys miss, get the extra yardage. That's where you see a back separate themselves. And some of that does come on a back and their vision and their ability to get there, but getting hit in the backfield is, you know, the detriment to that run game. And, and like you said, uh, the running play calling questionable at best, you know, a lot of people kind of raising flags about it. I had a lot of issues with how Mike Vrabel answered some of the questions we had for him today Agreed. at the press conference about it too. One thing he said was, well, you know, we went to it because it's something that's worked for us in the past. And, and that seems to be the theme Easton. That is, is so, so frustrating for it's such for a, a hard headed response right now, where it, it's, a stubbornness with this coaching staff yep. of this is what's worked for us. And, and it, this is another thing I wrote about, you know, about the game and about this coaching staff is they need to get it through to themselves that the roster this year is not the roster it's been in the past. And you have to adapt or die in the NFL and they have not adapted. And thus far they've died. <laughs> they died. So yeah. they, they, you know, that, that was ugly. And part of that is, like uh, Mike Vrabel said too, what, you know, what did the bills do so well to stop it? Well, they're fast. They have all these fast game changing linebackers. Matt Milano can go make plays. Well, then why are you running the pitch play to the outside against the team that you knew was fast coming in, especially with your fastest offensive lineman, Taylor Luan out on the first offensive play of the game, knowing he's not in there and you still keep running the ball to the perimeter on the left side. It doesn't make sense to me, but it comes down to that you know, just trying to stick to their MO when maybe you need to switch things up a bit. Maybe you need to find another way to get Derek between the tackles, whatever you want to do to, to help him, but having him, him, having him get hit by a bills linebacker three yards behind the line of scrimmage, isn't it. And right now they haven't shown the ability to switch things up enough to free him up. It feels like it's the same old story and the same old play call and it's the definition definition of insanity at this yep. point because it feels like they're expecting a different result. Yeah, no, there's a there's a balance between being true to who you you are, dancing with the girl who brung you, and then just slamming your head into a brick wall repeatedly, thinking you're going to get through. It's it's not it's not a a reasonable or logical way to go about anything in life, but especially play calling and coaching in the NFL. Let's talk a little bit about that offensive line, which is uh, I think fair to say maybe in shambles at this point. And it's again, only through two weeks and it feels like things have 
escalated very quickly in this regard. You guys over at A to Z actually reporting earlier, just earlier this evening, about how Taylor Lewan, according to Buck Rising, who's got sources near Taylor and inside the Titans organization, it's it's feared that he may be out for the season. And I think that's um, not shocking to anybody that, you know, watched the game, saw the, the, the tape of when he came off of the field, how it was a non-contact knee, um, knowing that this is a guy that same leg d- dealt with an ACL tear just two years ago. I think that, that it was a concern for everybody um, tweeted earlier today that I was not expecting good news. And it sounds like it's not very good news. Now they still haven't officially made any designation as to what his injury is or how long they expect him to be out, but certainly nothing good in terms of news on that front. Whether he comes back or not, I think is a massive deal for this team. Um, obviously, he's not the best tackle in the world anymore at this point, but he's certainly the best tackle they have by a significant margin. It's really not close. And so if they lose him, they are stuck with some really, really poor options in Dennis Daly and uh, you know maybe going and get Eric Fisher on the free agent market who sucked in Indianapolis last year. Maybe you, you go with some of your other depth on the team already, but when Dennis Daly is your best option. And at the moment they think he is. And I think if I if gun to my head right now, I think he's the best option on the team. Your best option is a horrible option. Um, and this is already an offensive line that that was supposed to be an anchor point. And, and now they're looking to possibly need to replace it. What are your thoughts on just the entire offensive line situation? What, what options they have and what it could mean for this team for the rest of the year? Yeah, I mean, Taylor Lewan going down is is a backbreaker because I tweeted this during the game and, you know, some people took issue with it, but I, I would stand by it saying he was a top three most important offensive player for them. And that's not to say he's a top three talented offensive player for them. He's not the same guy he was four or five years ago or even just two years ago before he's dealt with you know, the suspension and a lot of his injury issues. But like you said, he is the best tackle they have and just philosophically left tackle is the spot uh, on an offensive line. And uh, this is where some of those missed draft picks come back to bite you. You know, Isaiah Wilson should be your starting right tackle right now and have the ability to go in there, but that didn't work out. Dylan Radins has not worked out where he's might not even be a tackle in their eyes at this point. So I don't know what they do. Jamarco Jones is MIA is another option. So Dennis Daly is the swing tackle and it's NPF and Dennis Daly. And those are kind of your choices unless you, like you said, go and get an external option, but I'm not sure how much better any of those guys are either. So he is somebody who you might've been able to see the injury coming. Cause we, you know, Luan has dealt with this in years past, but that doesn't make it any less devastating for the Titans team. And, and I don't know if they have an answer and I don't know where you find that answer and with how important the run game is to them and setting that edge is to them and their offensive identity. It makes me feel like they're in a lot of trouble going forward because I I just Dennis Daly was their worst graded PFF offensive lineman. He was the worst one on the team. And this is the guy that you're relying on now to go and stop a a lot of very good pass rushers. He'll get a, I'm sure he'll get a face full of Max Crosby next mm. Sunday at Nissan Stadium. Oh, I'm sure, and a, yeah. a whole lot of people coming in, uh, kind of licking their chops at those either inexperienced or just not very good Titans tackles right now. So uh, the yep. offensive line is probably the biggest issue you need to fix. You know, the secondary was obviously terrible, but 
there is some light at the end of the tunnel in terms of those injury situations. The Taylor Luan news uh, was worst case scenario, and it's probably worst case scenario moving forward. I do think they have to make a move of some kind. Yeah, no, and there and there's some depth at least at the secondary position for this team. There is is quite literally no depth at the offensive line positions, and we got a, a pretty. I think realistic dose of what a Dennis Daly NPF tackle situation in the passing game would look like last night, a little bit dramatic. Yes. The bills are a great team and they were in a tough position, you know, Dennis Daly coming in, in the, in the middle of the game, not expecting to play. However, it it was just shades of 2021 Titans football, right? It was Ryan Tannehill having no time to throw the ball constantly having to look over his shoulder and look uncomfortable in the pocket, having to press and forcing him into making poor decisions, trying to get the ball out too quickly, just spiraling issues that, that kill the team and kill any chance of, of winning a game like that, let alone any game so far, we've not seen them, you know, manage to win one. And I'm not sure that we will this week, considering the Raiders are another equally, if not more desperate team coming into Nissan stadium, because you know, they're 0-2 as well, but they play in uh, the opposite of the AFC South, the, the best division in football, and every win for them really, really matters. Unlike the Titans, who may be able to sneak into the playoffs with a bad record, um, they have to feel like they have to win this game this week or their season is already over. And the Titans feel the same way, but it's certainly more true for the Raiders, given their situation. Um, you know, back on the other en- end of the ball, the defense, it's completely underwhelmed. Outside of the pass rush in kind of the just the first half of that first game, the group ha- as a whole, they had massive expectations coming in. How much do you think injuries are to blame for the poor performance across the board on defense? Um, and, and do you, I mean, again, it's, it's very much the same group that it was just last year. You think this is just an example of you always hear defense year to year it's just a volatile thing. You can't really predict. There's not a whole lot of trending going on in terms of defense year to year. The efficiency is, is kind of a crapshoot. Do you think that that's just an example of, of that, that we're seeing so far? Do you think it's just, they're, they're missing their guys. I, I think it's, they're missing their guys. I I really do. I, I really was very confident in this defense coming into the year. And unfortunately where these injuries have hit them, have kind of come in some of the most essential places kind of like that Mm. glue this group together, Harold Landry being the obviously dominant pass rusher he is, but also excellent against the run and and the way he completes that front four Um, and the Christian Fulton loss. And, and, you know, with, with what Elijah Molden has been dealing with as well, that secondary was depleted, overwhelmed, inexperienced, and quite simply could not hang with those bills receivers. (laughs) Uh, Like, I think you can get away with some things in terms of like their pass rush has overall still been somewhat solid. It was good against the giants. It kind of non-existent against the bills, but I I do attribute a lot of that to Josh Allen, just being who Josh Allen is and being able to avoid pressure, but you have to cover and you have to cover one-on-one and they lost Ugo Amadi in the first half and he didn't come out for the second half. And, Uh, That's kind of when things really blew up in the Titans face when he, you know, was off the field. So they've lost a lot of the guys that are really experienced in man coverage. And you were dealing with, I wrote down some of these, these numbers here, 
Roger McCreary, 98% of the defensive snaps as a rookie, which we might've expected he was going to have a role in this defense, no matter what, but Caleb Farley, 72%, Josh Kalou, 42%, Chris Jackson and Trey Avery, both around 30% of the snaps. That's a undrafted rookie. Nobody thought would have made the 53 three weeks ago. And Chris Jackson, who was on the practice squad six days ago. Uh, and those <laughs> yeah. guys are getting a third of your snaps in, in man coverage against Stefan Diggs and, uh, uh, Isaiah McKenzie and all sorts of great weapons for the Bills. That's an issue. I'm hopeful that, you know, if you get McCre- uh, rather, uh, you, you get Molden and you get Fulton back, Fulton, yeah, that it's able to look more like itself. So I, I would lean towards it just being missing your guys. But with what's out there right now, it's another thing where I, I said this at halftime during the game. They have to find an answer. I don't know if there's one available. Like their mm. best guys are not on, they're on the shelf and, and you have to be able to guard one-on-one. Otherwise your pass rush doesn't really matter that much because there's guys that are wide open and Kevin Byard, who didn't have a great game against Buffalo, but you know, he can only do so much when guys are running wide open down the field uh, and, and guys like Josh Allen are going to take advantage of it. Derek Carr is going to take advantage of it too. And if Christian Fulton's not back, I don't know who guards Devontae Adams, to be honest with you. No, no, me neither. I, I mean, I said that on Twitter last night, that if, if you think <laughs> Stefan Diggs just terrorized the secondary, you best be praying that Christian Fulton gets back or Devontae Adams is going to uh, really change the game in that regard. A friend of mine who's actually um, a Bills fan, he asked me last night, who, who's Trey Avery? And I go, was there a guy on the Bills team that when the 53 man roster came out, you were like, Oh, he made the roster. And he's like, yeah, there were, there were a couple guys like that. I go, that's Trey Avery. That's who that was. It, like the, he was the guy on the Titans 53 man roster when it first came out that everyone was most surprised. Like, Oh, Trey Avery. Like that's, that's the one we didn't expect right there. I, you know, I was able to guess 51 of these guys and Trey Avery was one of the ones I missed. Um, He's, he's serviceable obviously as a depth cornerback, but if he's out there, like, like we said, guarding digs one-on-one, on a regular basis in a game you've, you've lost before you've begun. I think it's interesting, you know, like you, like you alluded to missing some of those key elements last night. I mean, their front four, that was the really the glue, the nucleus of this defense coming into the year. Obviously they, they lost a big piece, if not the biggest piece of it before the season began. But then last night, really, it was really a, a front one and a half because you had Danico Autry playing quite well, but you got Jeffrey Simmons on a really bad night of his um he he was really ineffective for you know the first time in a couple games now and then bud dupree played 11 snaps before he left with a hip injury and never returned so with without without you know even half of that group out there what do you expect from this titans team against the bills or against anybody really yeah i mean i i I am i i do think the front four will be okay i do think that is one one thing that i'm not you know completely scorched earth uh, negative about here because I do like Rashad Weaver and, and from what Mike Vrabel said today it does sound like Bud Dupree is nothing right. long term in terms of his injuries you hope he's back for uh, Las Vegas next weekend um, and if and if you have Danico and Bud and and, uh, and Weaver and Jeffrey. You know, Jeffrey Simmons and you have those guys there I do think they'll be competent the problem is what, yes. you, what you said right it, it is you lose a couple of those guys. Where is that depth? And Ola's dealt with injuries. And, and I don't know where you really go. Tier Tart was kind of ineffective. Naquan Jones missed a couple big tackles. And uh, you can't really have it. You know, it, it's, no. you know, it is 
more and more pressure kind of falling on the hands of Jeffrey Simmons and on his shoulders to have two sacks and have, mm-hmm. and bring the pressure each and every night, because if he doesn't, you know, you're not sure who else is getting home to the quarterback and you're not sure uh, how easy it's going to be for the quarterback to pick apart your secondary. So uh, I'm not completely negative on the front for just yet. I'm waiting to hear about the Bud Dupree injury, but you know, Jeffrey Simmons is not going to have that kind of night every night. He's going no. to be a, uh, a game wrecker, you know? Yeah. And, and Sam, I think Bud is, I think Bud is the key here because you're, you're seeing what having an elite group, an elite complete group does for you in terms of room for error. Last yep. season, you had those guys on the front four and you had Bud Dupree have a really rough start to the first three fourths of his year before he came back fully from his ACL injury the year prior. But because it was a group of four guys that was so elite and it was a complete unit missing just one of them, Landry and Autry and and Jeffrey Simmons were able to make up for that. And they were really good despite not really having Dupree as a factor for three fourths of the games. Now, when he came back and it was all four of them, they were even better. And that's why they ended on such a great note. But but being able to have three of those four guys in there, you're still really talented, really competent at the very least. That's what they are when all three of these guys who they're currently playing with are out there, right? Weaver is a, I think, a very competent fill-in for Landry. He's nothing like Landry, but he's in a, you know, an a- at least average guy in the league at that position, and he's got some upside as a young player. He's going to get better as he goes. But you have to have all three of those stars out there. If you lose just one, especially the guy who's, you know, the only one left at that position, you know, I think it'd be, I think it would be less detrimental to lose one of the two interior guys than it would be to lose your last exterior guy, right? Dupree has to be in there and he has to be good for this pass rush to still work because like last year, they were three of four and got away with it. I think this year they can as well, but it has to be three. It really does. Yeah. And I, I do think they can get away with it. Like I said, I think they'll be all right, but it, it comes down to whether or not that defense and the back end of that defense is healthy. Because like I said about Josh Allen, that's a really talented quarterback that is really hard to bring down a lot pretty of good. Time yeah. and is, and is mobile and, and will take everything he gets. So like half the time the ball was out to a wide open guy before they even had a chance to get home, but guess yeah. what? It's not getting easier. Like nope. the quarterbacks coming to, coming up for the Titans schedule, you know, I think they'll do okay with Matt Ryan and Carson Wentz and those guys when they play him. You play Derek Carr, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, Joe Burrow, Aaron Rodgers, Jalen Hurts, Patrick, uh, sorry, Justin Herbert, and maybe Dak Prescott. Like those, those are some of the quarterbacks that you have to play this year. Yeah. That's six or seven of the top 10, 12 guys in the league. That's a first place schedule, baby. That is how it goes schedule. And when you've got that going against this defense, that's when it's like, yeah, you have to bring it and, and you, and you have to cover, you have to give your guys a chance to create those negative plays because a lot of those guys have the ability to maneuver in the pocket and ability to uh, kind of pick you apart with some, some play pass sets and uh, they will. And, and so, yeah, if you got three out of four, they'll be competent. It might not matter if your secondary doesn't get right straight up. You're absolutely right. Our our buddy, James Foster, back when Landry went down, put out a chart that I thought was fascinating at the time, just talking about how it was kind of sneaky last year, how much time the Titans secondary, especially towards the back end of the season, when the defense really came into form, was giving to the pass rush to get home. They had among the, the longest time to rush the quarterback 
um, in the league. And, and that's something that is allowed by, you know, they're not necessarily all coverage sacks, but they, you know, are providing more coverage sack ability because there's nowhere to dump the ball off quickly. That requires a really competent secondary, and they have those guys on the team. None of them are out for the year with significant injuries, but you have guys that you know, like we've like we've detailed that they have to get back in there, and the depth is kind of questionable, especially at the the cornerback and the linebacker position. Those top end guys, the the gap between them and who they have filling in, is is so dramatic that it throws the entire side of the ball off kilter. Let's let's talk a little bit about some of these guys that are dealing with injuries that, you know, it's not the Taylor ones and the Harold Landry's where it's, we're questioning whether we'll see them again at all this season, but the Titans have a number of guys at this point who have injuries that you're not sure whether they'll be back this week and, you know, wear a yellow practice Jersey during the week or whether or not they may go on IR and you may not see them until the end of October. Who, who among this group of guys that's kind of banged up already, do you circle and say, man, the Titans have got to have him back or they are going to be in some deep trouble. Yeah, I already told you, it's Christian Fulton for me. He's the mm. guy, like he is, when I walk into practice tomorrow, he will be the first guy I'm looking for to see, yep. is he out there? What what color jersey is he wearing? What's his yep. status? What's he doing? All of that stuff, because it all starts with him. Because I thought that was the biggest, that was the biggest position for me watching the game against Buffalo that I said, woof. They missed that guy <laughs> yeah. because look at that coverage. And, and so him and Elijah Molden both, I do think Dontrell Hilliard has a much bigger impact than a lot of Titans fans maybe thought he would. And, and yep. you, know, I, you saw that in the passing game and Ryan Tannehill going to him out of the backfield. I like Hassan Haskins, but that's another example of a later round rookie that you're now relying to take a heavy dosage of your offensive snaps when Derrick Henry's not out there. And he has to be a lockdown pass protector and pass catcher if you want your offense to be two-dimensional. But uh, Christian Fulton has to be the guy, has to be the guy for me that gets back on the field if they want a chance to turn around their defensive performance. Yeah, I think Fulton is the obvious answer. I find it fascinating that you bring up Hilliard. I told you before we started recording that I would do my best not to go off trail, but here I am going off trail for a second. Um, Hilliard, he brings something to the Titans offense. And this is something that I've been thinking about a lot for the last 24 hours. I'm currently writing a piece for broadwaysportsmedia.com about it. A major issue that the Titans, and this is not, this part's not a revelation. I think it's apparent to anybody with eyeballs watching the team. The offense has a serious predictability problem. Um, and, and Hilliard is one of the few guys in Ryan Tannehill's arsenal of weapons that provides an element of unpredictability. And I think it's one of the reasons he was effective in the first game and why he can be effective. And I think it's important for him to get back because, you know, (laughs) I don't think anybody can reasonably rely on the coaching staff at this point to provide that unpredictability. There are ways for good coaches to scheme unpredictability and, and it keeps defenses on their toes, putting players in position to, um, you know, do things that the defense doesn't necessarily expect them to do based on where they're lining up or or how they're operating, however it may be. But when you have a coaching staff that is play calling in a way that is is lending credence to the everything the defense thinks about the players on your team, it takes players that are multidimensional in order to provide that that unique 
unpredictability that the coaches aren't providing. And a guy like Dontrell Hilliard, who can run the ball well between the tackles, outside of the tackles, we've seen him be able to, to you know, fill in for Derrick Henry, I think rather admirably last season. He's also clearly the biggest passing threat out of the backfield that the Titans have. And, and you saw them utilize that in one of the only elements of unpredictability they had in the first game where they gave him two passing touchdowns on routes that he ran, you know, in a receiver role, not just a dump off to a, a running back. So I think it's fascinating how important he was to this team. I mean, he scored the only touchdowns the Titans had in the first game. He scored them both, and they were really impressive plays, the both of them. I think it's fascinating to see if and when he's back, if he can bring that level of unpredictability. But all of that is to say, tell me about your thoughts just on, on that issue that the Titans have right now and, and everything that I just laid out in terms of their predictability issues. Do you agree that that's a massive issue for them right now? I think it is the issue for them in terms of their play calling. And, and you know, part of that is personnel, like you said. You know, Dontrell Hilliard is one of the few guys that – can be used in a multifaceted role. I think it's something Kyle Phillips did really well when he was healthy against the yep. Giants. There's a big reason why Kyle Phillips was the most targeted receiver in the Titans offense, because they know what Robert Woods is. They know what he's going to do. You know what Austin Hooper is and what he's going to do. I love Nick Westbrook Akine. I think he's a really strong player. He doesn't create enough separation for me to move the, to move the needle for me regularly. Nope. And Kyle Phillips can, and we've seen Traylon Burks, can sometimes not consistently enough and Derrick Henry for so long has been that old reliable option that can keep churning out the same things and the same positive results and as we talked it's no longer there and it's not there when you use him in the exact same way the first and 10 run the toss all these different things that have been an issue for their play calling and they're trying to make up for Dontrell Hilliard not being there with Hassan Haskins or with lining both Derrick Henry and Torrey Carter up out wide as wide receivers, question mark. I Dangerous wideouts, Torrey Carter and Derrick Henry. I don't know what that was, but you have so <laughs> many guys on this, this offense that you can put in a box of, of what their skill set is yep. and what they're able to do and how they're able to beat you. And I think that's what's so frustrating about seeing these heavy sets with Jeff Swaim and Cody Hollister as your lone receiver as your options in the red zone it is where is the nuance to the play calling? Where is the nuance to the offense? It hasn't been there. They have to find it. And, and I don't know if it's, I do think the injury to Kyle Phillips might've hurt him in that way. We didn't see too many snaps for him like we did against the giants. And we certainly didn't see the same level of targets or confidence from Ryan Tannehill but you have to find a guy that's both able to create separation and keep a defense on their toes without Phillips, without Hilliard. I don't know if they have one. And that's where you can start keying on Derrick Henry and you can start giving them a lot of problems. And Easton, I hate to bring it up. That's where you miss AJ Brown because yeah. AJ Brown was your deep, deep play guy, your deep yep. threat that you could trust to game, to break a game open, to, he could run deep. He could run shallow. He could do all these different things for you offensively. And he was the reliable target when you needed it most. They don't yep. have one anymore. And, and that's a big, big, big problem. Yeah. And Sam, what you, I want to, I want to move on here in just a moment, but what you just said, I think it, it sparked an idea that I think is rather clever. And it's something that I'll definitely be adding to my article, but I, I think that's a perfect microcosm for what the Titans philosophically are wrestling internally over wrestling with themselves over over and, and clearly having a hard time accepting 
Derrick Henry, for all of his greatness, is the perfect example of how the Titans coaching staff for a while now have been able to get away with their stubbornness and their predictability because he's a star in the NFL that's incredibly rare in his prime at the very least where you can be stubborn and you can be entirely predictable. And for a couple years in a row now, it has been, we can do what we want with Derrick Henry and you can see it coming and it will not matter. He will still win. And they had an offensive line that enabled them to do that. And they had a star running back that enabled them to do that. And, and that power is intoxicating. I think, I think it's a, it's, it's a, it's a nice feeling, especially for a coaching staff, not, not to say that there's any laziness involved, but it allows you to, to be a little bit, a little bit more vanilla, maybe a little bit more arrogant than some other situations are say, say what? You can be safe, which is, exactly. which is how you describe, you know, a lot of what they do is it's safe. It's, it's so it's safe. safe. It's Todd Downing saying, well, we want to maintain third and manageable. When in reality, the Titans need to be asking, how can we get a first down? How can we avoid third downs just how at can all? We avoid third down, right. Yeah, it, yeah. Exactly. They had one explosive play defined as a play over 20 yards. It came right. on a I believe it was the third and 18 pass to Traylon mm-hmm. Burks, where he just kind of made something happen after the catch. And Traylon Burks has shown that ability time to time. Like I've said, I think they're on the verge of something with him and, and that he will come along more as the season goes. I, I have been very impressed with him so far in the regular season, me both. but, but he's not, he's not AJ Brown yet. Yeah. And, and, and that was part of that gamble that I talked about where, even if it works out with Traylon Burks and you end up getting the AJ Brown skill set for a hundred million dollars cheaper, he's not there yet. And what you had was Super Bowl contender, was AFC number one seed, was reliable, and you cho- chose to go a long-term safer route, right? A financially safer route, and it's not there yet. Well, and, and, and a route financially that allows you to be stubborn about who you are, right? The idea that this is a team that does not, we do not value wide receivers at the clip that the rest of the league values them. Financially, we cannot justify our culture paying a guy what AJ Brown demands because that's not who we are. Yeah, no, exactly. And and the problem with Derrick Henry, if there is one with, with all the greatness that he brings is that he's not a pass catcher and, and nope. he doesn't beat teams in that way. And so when you see a, formation with Derrick Henry as the running back right there you know it's either going to Derrick or it's there's no (laughs) sense of keeping the defense on the toes of you know 80 percent of the time it's going to be in his gut running straight at you and teams are starting to find a way to stop it rather quickly and just as you said that's the route that they've chosen to go with this team that's the gamble that they took when they made these trades and when they let some of these guys walk and now here you are watching the Buffalo Bills who have made the financial investments at the positions that the NFL would dictate. The NFL tells you pay quarterbacks, pay wide receivers, pay pass rushers, pay your your pass rushers and your left tackle. That's what the Bills have done. That's what the Bills have, you know, kind of hung their cap on here so far to start 2022 is nobody can guard Gabe Davis and Stefan Diggs straight up. And, And that's what all these other teams that are having success the Miami dolphins beat one of the best teams in the AFC on nothing other than we have two fast receivers. That <laughs> we have guys that are just faster money. than you. We have a track team draft picks and money and all of it. 
to es- establish a fast game-changing wide receiver core turns out kind of works out uh, a lot of the time because that's where the league is right now. Well, and, in a place like Miami where their offensive line is nothing to write home about necessarily. They, they just decided, Hey, doesn't care. That, that doesn't matter. Don't care. We just have guys that are faster. They you, like who needs an offensive line that can pass block long enough. If the guys just get down there faster. Personally, I don't think their quarterbacks, anything to write home about either, but, Negative. but you know, it, yeah. it, it might not matter when a guy's got nobody within 10 <laughs> yards right. of him. And, and that's right. That's kind of, uh, you know, it's an NFL quarterback. At the end of the day, they're going to hit a guy that that is alone waving his arm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. And, if you're giving guys college college openness with his pass catching uh, core, then then they're going to they're going to murder you every single game. Yeah. So so that's kind of where where I'm at, and I, I do like what you said because it, it's the financially safe route and, and a financial route that allows them now to say, well, it, the identity of our offense is still Derrick Henry, and, and the yep. problem with that is everybody knows it. Mm-hmm. And so unless you, uh, unless you can start doing that with a whole lot more success, yeah. uh, your offense is going to, to just kind of fit. Uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but it's going to fade away and your success is going to continue <laughs> yeah. to deteriorate here. Absolutely. Sam, I got one more question for you before we play a game that I, that I think is going to be fun on the way out here. But, but the last question, can we, can we look, can we look for just any shred of optimism for Titans fans right now. I don't think that that's really been discussed at all in the media so far this week. And I think rightfully so, um, it, you know, this first day coming off of a loss like that, there's no reason to discuss optimism, but this is the second show that we've done this week. So we get to be ahead of everybody else uh, on the hot read podcast and look for, is there anything for Titans fans to be optimistic about? I think that there is what comes to mind for you off the top, something to be optimistic about still a lot of season left. Yeah, I mean, I, there is one. Uh, it, it, I think it's the obvious answer. I, I will have another piece coming out about it tomorrow on okay. about this. And I talked to Mike Vrabel about this today. The AFC South just sucks. It, 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 like that. That's. But and yeah. I know that that's kind of like you don't want to compare yourself to other teams and take that as your optimistic point. But but it's what you said. There's so much season left, and the Jacksonville Jaguars are in first place in your division at. at one in, I don't even know. One in one. One in one, yeah. right? Like, you know, yeah. so you're a game back, uh, mm-hmm. as you would say. In, Against in a team games. that historically you kill under any and all. So the only team that you historically reliably murder. Yeah, I mean, if you were another team playing in basically any other division in the AFC right now, you'd probably be, uh, you know, planning your uh, your own funeral here right but, mm-hmm. but yeah no get those plane tickets to the end of the season we're going to aruba soon week seven week 18 we're out of here yeah exactly yeah and i i don't know i i we look at that schedule and i've i do have a hard time finding where you know 10 wins comes from in the rest of that schedule and how 10 and 5 is the way that the rest of this thing plays out but if there is a positive it is that a lot of teams in your division are in the exact same spot you're in right now uh so you are pretty much in an okay spot to still make the playoffs. I don't know how much that means if it's coming at nine and eight or or whatever. If you're just barely sliding in, you do get to host the playoff game for whatever that's worth. Uh, but 
that is the positive. And, and that is what I, I talked to Mike Vrabel about today. Of His you know, answer was so funny too. I, I was, I was, when I heard you ask this, I wasn't there today. I was, I was watching the stream and I, I heard you ask this and I'm like, Oh, Sam, you know, you knew what kind of answer you, you were going to get yeah, from Mike. I, I had to, but, but I do think that there might be some sense of that in the locker room where he says, yeah, you know, I've thought about it. Like he did say, you know, he I've did, he did it. admit. Yeah. And you, and you knew based on his response, you, because, you translate, you do the Mike Vrabel translator, you plug in his response and he definitely has considered it. And it's, I think it's part of the reason that they've gone about, and this is a larger conversation we, we won't get into, but I think it's, it's part of the reason they've gone about things the way that they have for better or for worse. They've realized for a long time, well before the season began, Hey, we can get away with some stuff in this division that we may not be able to anywhere else. No, I mean, if you, uh, even if you lose to the Raiders or, or whatever that circumstance may be. You got two games coming up with the Colts and, and yep. you've got a game against Washington. That's probably winnable. And, and you would feel like they should win yep. that game. You take care of business against Indianapolis and you're looking at three and three, you're probably in first place as wild as that sounds uh, yeah. in that situation. And the Colts might be buried at that, like at that point, you know, they, they might be four losses at that point in the year, five or six weeks in with a tie <laughs> to, to, Houston and a loss to Jacksonville. And, and I'm just laughing thinking about these Colts games that are coming up. They're going to be so much fun to cover because it is it they they're like I don't know what the rest of the schedule for the NFL is those weeks, but you just know that that's the suck bowl both yeah. weeks that they play. Like it's going to be the the most depressing, um, anxiety ridden fan bases going head to head, and it's just going to be a meme both weeks. I can't wait for it. It is yeah, but that is where that is unfortunately where they are. <laughs> it's where, where, where they are these franchises. Um, with all the expectations, and I just I refuse to believe Jacksonville is going to win the division. I refuse to believe Houston's going to win the division. I, I I just I have to think one of these two franchises that's currently got their head in their hands it is interesting going to come out on top of this. <laughs> so I understand I understand the Houston sentiment. I think that obviously the ceiling for them is really low. Um, they continue to be an annoying team, which I don't think even that was credited to them by most in the preseason the last two years, but they're an annoying team with a lower ceiling. Jacksonville is a team that I think was pretty popular as a, a like a worst to first team coming in. Obviously there's a lot of people locally um, and, and fans of other teams in the division that are, are just laugh at that, that prospect, but on paper, just the, the fact that they have a guy at quarterback, who's a second year player. He's got a significant upgrade of talent around him. Now, up, you know, it's a relative term. How how great that talent is is questionable, but it's certainly better than it was in his first season. He's got a better head coach for sure than he did in his first season because he has an adult head coach now, and and he's a guy that and he's a guy that he had serious flaws and question marks in his first year in the NFL. But in college, he he came out with incredible marks as a prospect. I think it's at least reasonable on paper to think that maybe this year they take advantage of, of a bad division. I'm like you. I still am certainly inclined to think the Titans end up winning the division um, just because of their dominance against Jacksonville. They match up well with them. Jacksonville still has a lot of question marks and a lot of holes, but they certainly look like the only I think they're the only team in the division that's shown any competency so far through two weeks. You don't you just don't see it with them. I'm I'm not as big of a believer as most people are. You know, I'm I'm okay. just I'm not fully buying in. At the end of the day, the Colts were were awful in that game in that you know week two game, and that we know what kind of team they are at least right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and then you know a, a loss to Washington, and I look at I look at Jacksonville as yes, they're improved. I'm not fully 
drinking the Trevor Lawrence Kool-Aid at this point in time, like a lot of people are. But I look at their schedule too, and and you have to keep in mind that for the most part, a lot of people in the AFC South are seeing a lot of the same teams as Tennessee is. They have... They're in L.A. against the Chargers next weekend. Brutal. They're in Philadelphia against the Eagles. The Brutal. That. Yeah. They've got their division games. They play Denver. They play Vegas. They play the Chiefs, the Ravens. Yep. They they play some teams here that – that's another team. I, I just – I don't think they're at that point right now where they get 10 wins. So maybe the division winner's 9-8. and eight. I, I don't know because of how hard some of these schedules are and, and the gauntlet that kind of is facing the AFC South – but I still would tend to side with one of the, the Titans or Colts coming out on top. It does come down to, though, the division games. I, I think it is, you know, who plays the best against the AFC South probably wins the AFC South because I don't see any team separating themselves in the out-of-division play. Agreed. Agreed. So Titans fans, if you're looking for optimism, I, I think you just you got to bury your head in the sand at least for the next couple of weeks and just go go full go full. Um, echo chamber on the AFC South. Just, just pretend that the AFC South is the entire NFL and that's all you care about winning. And if that's what you, you put the blinders on for, then you'll be in a better, better place mentally. I think than if you consider the rest of the league and how intense the AFC is now with, with Sam on the show today, typically when we have guests on the show, you guys know that we have them on for interviews. And then we, we go to some other segments with, uh, with me and with producer JT, who's still sick and not here with us. Sam was kind enough to step in and essentially just do a full episode with me. And it's been a lot of fun. And, and so since he's here for the whole thing, I wanted to play our game today with him. And I think this is going to be a fun one because we've reached the point in the season where some teams are starting to really freak out. Um, and, and I've got a game for us today. Show me more or there's the door. That's the name of the game. We're going to go through a list of teams in the league who have had a rough start and yeah. are are kind of on death's door here and we're going to decide whether or not we want them to show us some more we're not out we're not selling all of our stock just yet they can turn it around or hey buddy there's the door it's time to it's still it's time to start booking those flights at the end of the season this it's it's already over pack it in are you ready let's get into it ready to go All right, first team on the list, Cincinnati Bengals. Talk about a Super Bowl hangover. Holy cow, they've looked, I mean, not as bad as the Titans so far, but they've looked really awful. Um, they, they've had a, a brutal start to the year. Their first week was, was entirely embarrassing against a division rival with Pittsburgh coming to town and embarrassing them their first game in town in their stadium after almost winning the Super Bowl. And then they go and they play uh, a a Cowboys team, which, you know, tough break for them. They ran into the Cooper Rush train. It's just an unstoppable, unstoppable uh, locomotive running down the tracks down there. But they they've had a rough go of it. Do you you think you need to see some more from the Bengals or is it time to show them the door? I'm going to show me more uh, okay. reluctantly. Uh, and and it's, it's what I say. I mean, it's, it's Joe Burrow. It's Jamar Chase. It's T Higgins. It's Tyler Boyd. It's the high flying weapons and the explosive offense that they have. And, you know, the offensive line is a big, big, big problem. And, and I don't, they have to protect Joe Burrow. And as mm-hmm. soon as he gets hurt, there's the door and there's the, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's the, prison and you need to be buried underneath it. That's how, uh, that's how <laughs> yeah. death Bengals are when yeah. Joe Burrow goes down. But as long as they have him at quarterback, I think they find a way to stay competitive. Um, 
both of their games, however heartbreaking and probably winnable as they were, have been, you know, come down to the wire and they've lost on two game winning field goals so far. So I, I do think the Bengals will find a way to stay competitive because that's just who Joe Burrow is to his core. Um, I don't know if it's enough. You know, unfortunately, they're staring down the barrel of an AFC North that is one of the best divisions in all of football, and they've yep. already gotten behind the eight ball in that sense. So I don't know if if playoffs is realistic, but I'm not burying the Bengals just yet because uh, they've proved me wrong before. Same, I agree entirely. I want them to show me more as well, not because I see any reason that they're going to be better than they've looked so far, but purely because the 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 strengths and the weaknesses that I see in this team right now are the same strengths and weaknesses I saw from this team last year, and they defied the odds in that way with the talent that they have. So I, I just can't write them off just yet. The next team is a team that's coming here to town in just a couple of days. The Las Vegas Raiders. We talked a little bit about it already. They've had a couple of tight games already this year. A, a big loss in week one to a division rival in the Chargers on the road. And then a game that they seemingly had wrapped up against the Cardinals. And they let the Cardinals avoid being on this list, frankly, because they looked like they were dead in the water to begin the year and then played a really great second half in week two. And, and, stole a game from the Raiders, I think is fair to say. They're a team that is in the best division in football. Every single win matters. And so the, you know, the the bar for them is higher than most. They they're going to have to be great in order to have a chance to make the playoffs. Do you want the Raiders to show you more or is it time to show them the door? I'm still in show me more with the Raiders, unfortunately. Okay. They're, they're right with the Bengals for me in terms okay. of one of those teams that I know that Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Hunter Renfro can work. I know that they have some defensive pieces that can click. They have played two very, very good opponents and played two pretty well-contested games with them. Mm -hmm. I think they're better than they're getting credit for right now. And they're right with the Bengals. And what you said is that AFC uh, West is probably the best division in football not one of it is the best division in football and they're still gonna have to see kansas city twice and denver twice and uh they still have another one with uh the chargers coming up so it's not gonna get easier uh but the raiders are another team i expect to be in the mix in december i, I don't know if they make the playoffs but they will come back up to the surface from where they are Agreed. I'm still on show me more with the Raiders, but I will say, and I don't know if you agree with this, if they come to Tennessee and lose this week, I'm probably going to be wanting to show them the door at that yep. point. I'm with you too. 0-3. 0-2, we can come back from 0-3 in that division. Uh, that feels like a death sentence. Agreed. Next team in the same division, the Denver Broncos. Questionably, you know, the may, maybe the, the worst coached team at the moment in the league. It's certainly one of them. Nathaniel Hackett having one of the roughest starts of any, um, at least of any coach that came in with high expectations, which he did. It's been brutal so far for them, and they managed to squeak out a win against the Houston Texans in week two in their home opener, a home opener in which they spent most of the game being booed by their home fans incessantly, which was quite humorous to watch. Do you want the Broncos to show you more, or are you showing them the door already? Everything in me tells me to show to see more from them, and mm -hmm. I'm still sending Denver to the door. And, wow. And which is surprising, and I feel like it contradicts myself with the Raiders to, to have Denver still in the mix. Yeah, tell me why. I don't believe in Russell Wilson. I don't. I, and I like it. it's mm. weird to say because it, I just I haven't seen 
I've heard some things through uh, through some some people that that his leadership is not you know maybe what you look for in a guy in terms of his, his presence in the locker room. I see how he's being received by some of the guys on that roster, and with the weapons he has, it should be clicking. Like it, Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton are two very good receivers. It should be going. Javante Williams is a very good back. It's not, and it's what you said. I think they're poorly coached. And I don't think their quarterback is a guy that makes up for flaws in other places of the roster. The Raiders are a more complete roster than Denver for me. And ask a Seahawks fan. Russell mm-hmm. Wilson wasn't special in his last couple of years in Seattle. And it's a divisive topic for sure. And, yeah, and It's a divisive topic. And where they are, I don't see them winning any games with the Chargers or with Kansas City. I, I don't see mm. them putting up a fight in that division that gives me reason to believe they can be an AFC contender. So uh, I've seen enough of the Denver Broncos, and I'm going to show them the door. That's probably my hot take. I love I love that answer. I didn't. I thought that it was just going to be uh, a show me more fest here at the beginning of the list. I'm so I'm so glad that you said that. And I think it's so fascinating. I was most intrigued along the Russell Wilson, uh, along the lines of that topic, with Week One, not his performance in Seattle, but just all of the talk surrounding it, the way that he was received by those fans, the way that he was received by his former teammates, the way that his former teammates and coach talked about him and his time in Seattle following the game. There's a lot there. And I think it was really telling. And for anybody that was still in on Russell Wilson, not as a talent, but as a leader, certainly raised some eyebrows. I'll go with you down this hot. I'll I'll ride with you on this one. Show me the door. Uh, There's the door for the Broncos. I think that they I'm less I'm less low on them in the sense that I think that they may be a year away. Um, but just the question marks at quarterback and the question marks at, at all of the coaching positions at the moment, I, I think somebody's got to go down relatively hard in that division just because of how tough it is. And I'm with you. I think I think that they could end up going like one and five in that division and being really mediocre looking ahead to next year. Next yeah. team on the list, the Chicago Bears. You're a Chicago guy yourself. The Bears have had an up and down season so far, to say the least. They won their own personal Super Bowl, it seemed like, when they played inside of an actual kiddie pool in week one in Chicago. Um, Some really awesome shots and scenes, and uh, it it was a great time. You felt good for the Bears, no matter who you pull for. However, in week two, um, Aaron Rodgers proved that he still does own Chicago, unfortunately, Um, and they came back to earth a little bit. They were a team coming into the year that were talked about like they'd be a lock for a top five pick in the draft. Had, had you already shown the door to the Bears before the season began? Is there anything that they've shown you that makes you want to see some more? I am in show me more for the Bears. Uh, okay. I think it. I think it's it's a relative show me more. Now okay. I like you said, I'm a Chicago guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have a special place in my heart for my Chicago Bears. Um, this is a show me more in a sense of the bears will not make the playoffs. Right. Right. This, that, that's not something that's in the cards for them. But I have been saying uh, pretty much all off season 
that I thought they were better than they were last year. And which is interesting when you talk about no Akeem Hicks, no Khalil Mack, no Allen Robinson, the names that they lost. Mm -hmm. And then you look at the numbers and you realize Allen Robinson caught less than 30 passes from Justin Fields last year because he wasn't very involved in their offense. There was no chemistry. His heart wasn't in it. And uh, Khalil Mack played less than eight games and Akeem Hicks played less than eight games. And a lot of the pieces of this defense are still here with a new and better head coach and preferably a better play caller and hopefully a better quarterback in Justin Fields. I'm concerned about Justin Fields. I, I am. And I'm concerned that the Bears level of trust in Justin Fields has been fading uh, as reflected in the 10 pass attempts he threw in Green Bay. But I do want to say to Easton, that goal line call that we saw on Sunday Night Football, if that goes the Bears' way, they're looking down one score in in the fourth quarter against the Packers, which for where the talent level was said to be for Chicago, I think they've outperformed expectations. I think they can be kind of frisky. I think they can kind of uh, hang around, maybe win some games they shouldn't, and be a little spoiler in the NFC, not a playoff team, but I don't think they're bottom five in the league. And and so I'm excited to see how much more the Bears have. Spoken like a true Chicago boy. Man, Here's I got a a fun stat for you, Sam. And since you're a Chicago guy, you may have already heard this one. Do you know where Justin Fields ranks in the NFL through two weeks in pass attempts? Dead last. I mean, he's probably- No, worse. 33rd. (laughs) 33rd in the league in pass attempts. It's been so- Cooper Rush. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's been so strange to see them seemingly lose trust in their guy. I mean, I guess he's not their guy because it's a new regime, but they don't seemingly have any trust in him. And and for that reason, I'm going to have to go against you on this one. I need need the Bears to to see the door. Now, I, I found it fascinating to watch them in week one. And if they continue to get Justin Fields more- just just more out there on the field. I'll want to see more from him just because he's an electric player and he's fun to watch. But I've got to show Chicago the door on that one. A couple more teams to get to here. Speaking of Cooper Rush, the Cowboys. Brutal start to the season. You hate it for them, except you probably don't because they're the Cowboys and who likes the Cowboys and the Cowboys fans. So um, I'm not, I really, I'd, I'd be lying if I said I felt bad for them. Um, I like when they're mediocre and the national media has nothing to talk about about them because it's annoying and they're boring. Um, And they're certainly boring right now, or should be, at least on paper, except then Cooper Rush comes in and and he just wins games for some reason. Um, And it's it's funny, but it's it's strange and I'm not sure how sustainable it is. Do you want some more Cooper Rush or do you want to show Cooper Rush the door? No, yeah, they're getting the door for me. Okay. Uh, it, it is hard. I, you know, I think if you get two week, two more weeks from now, I might eat those words. If Cooper Rush just continues to win games, but you know, you'll never know. I, I've always kind of thought you need to see four games of an NFL team before you really understand Love their that. identity yep. and where they are. That's the marker for me when when I start making real real serious judgment i just i don't think it's sustainable without dak prescott and the real reason is the eagles are on on something special here you know jalen hurts and and what the eagles are building with nick sirianni leading them is checking all the boxes for me as a legitimate nfc contender and my fear with the Cowboys or for the Cowboys is that by the time you get Dak Prescott back, while your roster is going to be pretty good, your record might not be that bad. Things just might be out of reach because I think the Eagles might be that good that they separate themselves in the NFC East. And I don't see Dallas being in the top tier of NFC teams to go for a wild card. 
No, agreed entirely. There's the door for Cooper Rush and the Cowboys. Um, that's partially for just my personal hatred of the Cowboys and everything about them, but also just, I think I was low on them coming into the season. I thought that they didn't, they, they took some steps back when a lot of the teams around them took some steps forward. They were underwhelming last year. In the end, I just, I didn't see any path forward for them. And without Dak for a couple of weeks, I definitely don't see any path forward for them. So given the door to the Cowboys, next team is the Panthers. Among the more boring teams in the league, at least from my viewpoint on a regular basis, um, you know, ever since Cam Newton left, they've been just a turnstile and kind of a disaster of an organization. Matt Rule is, I think, pretty clearly the maybe the worst coach in the league. I think he's the worst coach in the league, at least. And he's not long for the league, in my opinion. Um, Baker Mayfield made things relatively interesting, at least here recently. But I think it's pretty clear that they have a lower ceiling. They you know, have have lost a couple of games with heartbreaking kicks by their opponent at the very end. They've been competitive and feisty in that way, but do you see any reason you want to see more from the Panthers or are you showing them the door? No, yeah, they're getting the door for me. It's what you said. I, I think they're poorly coached. Uh, it's unfortunate that they're as boring as they are given they have a former number one overall pick at quarterback and uh, maybe the one of the top three best running backs in football and Christian McCaffrey certainly could make a case for him being at the top of that list when he's fully healthy. Uh, so it's sad that that's where that team is, but uh, I was optimistic about Carolina coming in and they just haven't shown it to me. That Their offensive line has not been very good protecting Baker Mayfield. He has not been very good. Um, and, and they haven't found a way to win in the margins in some of these close games that they probably needed. That it felt like a couple of games that they needed to start off on the right foot. Um, in order to to have a chance to sneak into a wild card and be scary, their division is a lot better than people give it credit for. And Carolina just isn't it for me. Matt Rule's gone after this year. Panthers can get the door. Yep, door for me as well. Horrible coaching, limited quarterback play, not a super solid roster, pretty cut and dry there. A team that's also bad, but not boring, at least to me, I think they're kind of the opposite. The Atlanta Falcons, Marcus Mariota and his boys down there with old Art Smith on the sideline, the headset on. They have been feisty so far, to say the least. That week one game, you just, your heart broke for them. Um, brutal falconing by the Falcons in that game. And uh, then they go to LA and do the other thing the Falcons love to do, which is be feisty in games that they probably shouldn't be and then come up just short because that is what the Falcons do. They're 0-2, and they're a team that definitely everybody came into the year thinking this is going to be a team in the bottom five. They'll be drafting pretty high, but they've been, you know, serviceable as at least a watchable NFL team so far. Do you want to watch a little more and have them show you some more, or are you showing the Falcons the door? I want to watch more, but they're still getting the door. Because like you said, <laughs> they're fun to yes. watch. And yeah. I don't them that much is they're my favorite bad team to watch. But yep. the Falcons are the same old Falcons to me. And I just don't think they have enough difference makers, uh, you know, especially with missing Calvin Ridley and that whole ordeal here where Corderell Patterson is a great piece to an offense. And, I, and I, I've loved what I've seen from Drake London early on, but Marcus Mariota, as many Titans fans know, is pretty limited in his quarterback play and can be a little bit too reckless with the football. We saw that at the end of their their most recent game here, almost came back until a Marcus Mariota uh, interception in the end zone kind of yep. uh, put a pin in the whole thing and a Marcus Mariota fumble, fumble uh, cost yep. them in the first game. 
they just don't have enough difference makers to move the needle. Like I said, their division is is pretty good on the top end, and they're not in that upper caliber uh, NFC team. They have pieces. They don't have any game changers. They get the door. Yep, giving them the door as well, but I'm with you. I want to see more, but in like a sicko, I watch too much NFL kind of way. I want to watch them cover the spread after I bet on them. <laughs> I want to watch them make five. me money by being an almost horrible team, but not as horrible as people think. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so they're getting the door from both of us. Three more teams, the Seahawks. We're back on the super boring train, and they weren't super boring in week one. And speaking of teams that won me money, uh, I bet on them like a the sicko psychopath that I am and won some money in that first week. Big Hall of Fame quarterbacks never do well against their old team in their first game. Kids, write that down. Um, Tom Brady didn't do it, and neither did Matthew Stafford, and neither did... Okay, anyways. Um, so the Seahawks, Geno Smith, obviously incredibly limited, a coach that I think is pretty controversial in terms of his stubbornness and the way that he likes to run things. A team that doesn't have a ton of difference makers. They've got a couple of great wide receivers. The offensive line's really young. They're in a relatively, well, on paper, a tough division, except so far, maybe not. Maybe it's more winnable than you'd think. Um, it's a fascinating case, the Seahawks. Do you want to see more or you just you've been out the whole time showing them the door? No, I, I don't want to see more. I, I'm rushing them to the door. I, not only am I giving them door, I think they're the worst team in the NFL. I, okay, I, so you got I, the bouncer escorting them to the door as we speak. I, I, it blows my mind how they won that game in Denver, and it was only by Nathaniel Hackett's idiocy and yep. some fluke, you know, fumbles on the goal line. Yep kept them alive they didn't move the ball in the second half they didn't do anything in their basically entire second game against the 49ers it was a, a, a pathetic showing and you know i was happy for geno smith to see him get that get that win out of the way and get his morale i think people are forgetting he's got more career interceptions than he does touchdowns there's a mm. reason he hasn't gotten a shot as a starting quarterback in the nfl he had a teammate slap him in the face the last time he or punch him in the face because he wasn't very well received in the locker room. <laughs> He's not a starting quarterback. And I don't understand Ugh. where Seahawks fans are coming from. Free DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett because they have weapons. Yeah, they just yeah. don't have uh they don't have the infrastructure to take advantage of good weapons in Rashad Penny and Kenneth Walker, who I also like, as well as those those receivers. I, I have soured on Pete Carroll the same way I've soured on Russell Wilson. And I think Geno Smith is the worst starting quarterback doing it right now. So the Seahawks uh, get the door rather quickly for me. Yeah, I'm ushering them to the door as well. They're, they're boring to watch and they have some talented pieces that need to be freed. Last two teams, and these are the teams that are most relevant to the people who, you know, watch and follow and, and read all of our things here in the Nashville media market. So if you've stuck around this long in the podcast, congratulations. We're going to talk a little bit more about the Colts and the Titans. First team, the Colts. I'm not going to recap everything because if you're a Titans fan, you know what's going on with the Colts. You know the the rock bottom that they truly are at right now as an organization. Put your objectivity hat on here. Do you want to see more from the Colts or is it already time to show the Matt Ryan Colts the door? No. Yeah. I want to see more, but okay. and it's, it's an easy one for me. Mm -hmm. It's the same deal that we talked about with the AFC South. 
Uh, it's the fact that I did think they got a lot better in the offseason. Uh, Frank Reich is really showing his true colors as not a very good head coach in the NFL. I think that's pretty clear. Yep. Uh, Matt, I don't think Matt Ryan is as bad as he's played, but you nope. are seeing where the mobility of Carson Wentz helped Jonathan Taylor and helped the Colts offense a lot where he could play it's safe. He didn't have to throw the ball 40 times a game. He could use his legs to just open the field enough. Uh, but they didn't have Michael Pittman Jr. They didn't have Alec Pierce in, in their second game here against the Jaguars. Those are two, probably their top two weapons. Yeah, uh, Paris Campbell has been disappointing. Uh, maybe they're only two weapons, actually. Yeah, yeah and in I the mean, receiving I, game. Yeah, <laughs> I think they're those are. Uh, two very important pieces as well for Matt Ryan. And, and so where they're at right now, they're they're in a similar spot where the injuries have left their team, especially on the offensive side of the football, depleted and overwhelmed. And, and it's not good, but, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel for the Colts for me. I like the Stephon Gilmore pickup. I like Yannick Ngakwe. I like some of the things they did to their defense. They haven't had Shaq Leonard on, on the field yet either. And, and he is the best defensive player on that team, maybe the best player, period, on that yep. team. Yep. Uh, so they have, you have to wait and see more from the Colts. Um, and they have the benefit of playing in the AFC South where things are never over till it's over. So yes, give me more of Indianapolis. Agreed entirely. I want to see more. I think the injuries are a fair point. And I think that, like you said, the Colts have done a lot of succeeding. Or not they had actually not done a lot of succeeding. All of their succeeding they've done in the past couple of years, I think, has been despite Frank Reich more often than it has been because of him. I think I've always thought that he's a, a very mediocre coach. I think that the only person in administration over there in Indianapolis worse than him, frankly, Chris is Ballard. their GM, Chris Ballard. I think is the I, I think that he is the most overhyped figure in all of American sports in at least the last 10 years. The 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 disparity between his actual ability and the way that he's talked about has boggled my mind for years and maybe we're finally here on the precipice of of people realizing just how bad he is at his job you uh you have to keep in mind too we talked about him earlier matt eberflus isn't there anymore and, and he yep. brought a lot of that coaching staff with him to chicago he, did. he took alan williams he took uh, a couple names from there took a couple players and, and so there is a a sense of this is also a new head co or a new coaching staff for the most part. A lot of guys uh, jumped ship and went with Eberflus there. But yeah, I agree. Chris Ballard and Frank Reich have kind of gotten the benefit of the doubt since the sudden Andrew Luck retirement. And you're here on quarterback number four since that happened, still waiting for it to click. And it has the credit happened. has long run out with them yes. in that regard. Um, so, yeah, I think that there's still a lot to see with the Colts. The Titans are the last team, and we'll just use this as an opportunity to wrap up our conversation here. And again, Sam, thank you for being with us. It's been really fantastic having you on the show, and I think that everybody listening has really enjoyed it. The Titans are a team that, that we know is in a place that I don't think anybody expected them to be here at the beginning of the season, even those that were down on their prospects this year in comparison to their prospects of last they're a team that I think everybody who watches them wants to see more from, um, both in the sense that you expected more from them and like, please show me more. But also you want to see where they go here with this season because they're at a point where it could go a lot of different ways. This is a team that could easily be hosting a playoff game. 
And this is also a team that I think could easily be having a top 10 pick in the in the draft, depending on where the season goes from this point. This week was, I think, a pretty big turning point for a lot of people in that building. That was a real reality check about where they are currently as a team. Do you want to see more or are you showing the Titans the door? I am going to see more, but I will say I am very, very, very close to showing them the door. And, wow. and the reason I'm different with the Titans than the Colts is because the injuries with the Titans have some season long, they, they, they've got that whole long, entire season rain cloud looming over some mm-hmm. of that. If this Taylor Luan thing is what Buck Rising of A to Z Sports says it is right now, and he's gone for the year, and you already know Harold Landry's gone for the year, those key players for the Colts are probably back in week three. If not, they're back in week four. Like these are guys that are week to week, day to day situations. The Titans have had big, big time playmakers that are now gone for the entire year and they have not shown a whole lot of depth as answers. I'm going to see more because of the AFC South, because of what we said, because their destiny is still in front of them in terms of winning their division games. And if they can outplay the Colts and the Jags when they take them on and the Texans when they take them on, they're going to host the playoff game. They do have a lot of work to do and and they have to coach better, they have to play better. That's the cliche, but neither one has been up to the standards of the Tennessee Titans so far. It has been an ugly start. That said, all hope is not lost. I will see more because I tend to look at the body of work more mm-hmm. than I do two games. Mm-hmm. And so while everybody has an issue with Todd Downing, and I understand, and while I have my complaints about John Robinson and some of the roster construction, I do believe in Mike Vrabel. And I do believe in what Mike Vrabel has built in Tennessee. And until Mike Vrabel gives me a reason to not do that, um, I will give him the benefit of the doubt until all things are said and done. Yep, obviously I'm going to see more with the Titans as well for all of the reasons you just stated. Sam Phelan, everybody. Sam, you're the man. Thank you so much for coming on today and uh, kind of filling in here for me and just doing a show together. It's been an absolute pleasure. I want to have you on again sometime soon because it's been a lot of fun. Guys, check him out, A to Z Sports. He's got two or three articles already based on this past week's game. He's got a couple more coming, it sounds like, and he's going to be covering the team for the rest of the season. Him and I will be covering them um, and uh, A to Z Sports. Check him out. He's doing a lot of great work over there. Sam, it's been a pleasure. Hey, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Hey, before you go, just a couple of things I need you to know. If you aren't subscribed already to the show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please do so. It's really helpful. Um, You'll get all of the shows downloaded for you automatically, so you won't miss any of the shows. And also on Apple Podcasts, if you enjoy the show, I know every show you've ever listened to asks you to do this, but I'm going to ask if you can leave a five-star review and a review. It would mean the world to us. The 10 seconds that it takes you to do that means so much more to us than it does to you. And we will absolutely shout you out on the show if you do that for us. Say whatever you want. You can tell us that you hate the show. Just leave it five stars. Um, And we'll be incredibly thankful for that. If you're a small business owner in Nashville or a big business owner, for that matter, looking for advertising opportunities, we have those opportunities on this show as well as elsewhere on the Broadway Sports Media Podcast Network as well as elsewhere on BroadwaySportsMedia.com. We've got a lot of advertising opportunities opportunities. So reach out to me via Twitter um, or via email. All that all of that information is available on the website and on my Twitter. Reach out and, and we can chat about that. 
If you aren't subscribed to BroadwaySportsMedia.com, if you aren't a Broadway insider, I don't know what you're doing. You're missing out on some really great content each week, written articles um, from some of our best writers, early access for insiders, as well as some premium articles that are just behind the paywall that you won't get to read unless you're an insider. The Mike Herndon Show, which comes out on Thursday evenings. I'm the producer of that show. That's a great show that you're not going to get anywhere else unless you are a Broadway insider. It's a video and audio show that you won't want to miss each week. Mike Herndon, one of the best doing it, recapping the week for the Titans, talking about the Titans coming up later that week, really diving into a lot of the details that you're not going to get anywhere else. Some of the stuff that makes Mike Herndon so great at his job. So subscribe to get that. Um, There's a couple of other shows on the podcast network that are coming out or have come out already this week. If you missed our first episode on Tuesday morning, make sure to go back on this feed and listen to it. It's an immediate reaction from me to the Titans Uh, debacle on Monday night that I think you will find informative and cathartic at the very least. The Football and Other F-Words podcast came out this morning on Wednesday. You'll want to check that out, of course. MCA had a couple of pods. This week, one is already out. One will be out tomorrow. Um, Second and Victory has a show coming out tomorrow. And of course, we'll be back on Friday morning with our preview show with the Titans hosting the Raiders coming up on Sunday. That's it for today. I think we're done here. Until Friday, I'm Easton Freeze.